0: session took the state's oil and gas development opponents and proponents on a wild ride. On April 3rd, 2019, the Senate passed Senate Bill 19-181, which dramatically changes the regulation of oil and gas development in the state. The new governor signed it into law on April 16, 2019, and it became effective on that date. Uh, there are a couple of things that I think are important about this. Uh, the first one is, is that it has changed the state's Oil and Gas Conservation Act, so that the uh, Oil and Gas Conservation Commission, Commission is no longer tasked with fostering oil and gas development, instead the Commission must now regulate development in a manner that protects public health, safety, and welfare, including protection of the environment. So the entire purpose of the Commission has essentially been turned on its head. Rather than being an agency or an entity that helps to foster oil and gas development, it is now a regulatory agency first and foremost in order to regulate your industry. Second, it explicitly empowers local governments with increased oversight of land use related to oil and gas activities in their communities and the location and siting of oil and gas facilities. And third, it also sets out several areas in which the uh, Commission and the Colorado Air Quality Control Commission must make new rules. Now, what is significant about that is that in the work that I do, representing everything from gravel companies to oil and gas companies and those sorts of things, typically we refer to what's called preemption. So what preemption means is that it's your state agencies that are responsible for regulating or overseeing these these industries. What Colorado did is they empowered the local governments to do that. So if you're in Boulder and you want to ban oil and gas development, you can potentially do that. If you're in other communities, you can make rules and regulations that are different or or in, in excess of what are included in statutes. From the standpoint of practitioners, you can understand that it can be very difficult to have to try to figure out how to navigate working in 25, 30, 40, 50, 60 different communities just in one state where you're potentially going to have to comply not only with state law, but local law as well. What is significant is last Friday, the United States Supreme Court issued a decision that in many ways, I believe, kind of undercuts what the state of Colorado did in this very bill. Because last Friday, the United States Supreme Court held that if a local government passes regulations or restrictions upon your ability to use your private property, you can bring a direct takings claim in the United States federal system. So you can sue under your constitutional rights, whether it's the Fifth or the Fourteenth Amendment, for an unconstitutional takings. Why that is significant is I think it's really going to constrain these communities because it becomes very high risk, for example, to say we are no no longer going to allow any oil and gas development in a particular community or we are going to make the setback so onerous that it's not even possible for people to exercise their oil and gas entitlements or their rights. So it's interesting that in April, the Colorado Senate and the, and the Governor passed a bill that I think would allow uh, for some substantial restrictions on oil and gas development and potential other development in other industries as well. And the United States Supreme Court just immediately turned around with a case that said, if you do that, you're potentially violating the Constitution under a takings claim. So with that said, I'm going to turn to uh, Senator Cook and ask you if you would perhaps give us a bit of the background and history of how this all came about in your lovely
1: state. Sure, thank you. Um, First off, I want to clarify something. It did pass out of the Senate, but it wasn't unanimous. The uh, 181, every Republican voted against it and uh, so we were in the minority, and, and majorities matter, and that's part of the problem, is that majorities matter, and I'm gonna go back a little bit further. We had the majority for four years and, uh, in the Senate, and the House had uh, the majority, the Democrats had the House majority. So we really had to work together on, if we wanted a bill passed, uh, I would say that uh, we killed all their dumbass bills that came over to the Senate, and they killed our good bills, and uh, and that's pretty much how it was. Um, then we lost the the majority, and uh, all hell broke loose. You know, we would see when we were, had the Senate, we would see bills come over from the House that made oil and gas responsible for all and any earthquakes that happened in the state of Colorado. And then oil and gas was strictly liable for any of the damages. And so those are the kind of bills that we had that, uh, that we were the backstop on in the Senate. And um, we would see a, a, you know, a setback uh, bills coming from the House and you name it, blaming oil and gas for just about everything. And like I said, we were the, uh, the, the uh, backstop. And uh, once we lost that, uh, the Senate majority, uh, like I said, all hell broke loose. And, you know, but it wasn't just um, overnight, it, was, it, was, it happened over several years. The environmentalists, like you were saying, have infiltrated a lot of Colorado, and um, they believe in emotion as opposed to uh, facts and reason. And I'll just kind of give you a quick story to, uh, to um, explain that. I was at, when I was a sheriff, I was at uh, a big event called the Cattle Barons Ball up in Weld County. It's a big fundraiser. About 1,000 people sit down, dinner, and it's a fundraiser for American Cancer Society. I was talking to the photographer. And uh, she unfortunately lived in my district by, because she lived on, I I was running for uh, the Senate at that time, and she lived right across the street uh, from this county road, and if she lived on the other side, she'd have been in somebody else's district. But she asked me what I think about fracking. And I said, I think we ought to frack here, 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 and here, and when we're done fracking here, we go to the next planet and start fracking there. And she said, well, I'm against it. And I asked her why. She said, well, because, you know, they're contaminating the groundwater. And I said, uh, you know, no, they're not. There's never been one proven case of groundwater being contaminated. And she said, well, they still have to go through it. And I said, yeah, they go through the groundwater, but out where she lived, the groundwater started about 15 feet, probably went down to a couple hundred feet. And I said, you know, the, the thing is, they're fracking at seven, 8,000 feet. And she said, and I couldn't believe it, she said, well, um, all I know is that when I'm taking a shower and I wash my hair, and they're drilling out by me, uh, my hair feels so different. And at that point, I said, you know, nice talking to you, because Jesus Christ Himself could come down from the right hand of God, tell her that fracking is okay or drilling is okay, there's no problem with oil and gas, and she wouldn't have believed Him. And so, I just said, all right, you know, nice talking to you, and told her that about, you know, Jesus Christ and uh, all that, and walked off, because there was nothing more I could say to her. You can't argue with that, you can't. and So that's the kind of thing we've been dealing with for quite a while, and so the emotions, people believe a 30 second sound bite more so than they would believe, like you said, the facts or the truth. Um, and so it started back in, I think, around 13, 12, 13, um, with Clean Air Clean Jobs, uh, which was a bill that mandated certain renewable energies um, to, that Colorado had to, uh, had to use. We had to use solar. It's, and I call it preferred energies because hydro doesn't count as a renewable, nuclear doesn't count as a renewable, only wind and solar. And so 30% now uh, is government mandated to have um, renewable energy. So it started back there and then, and just kind of grew and grew and grew. Well, when we lost the um, we lost the majority, um, that was one of the major bills that they ran. And what happened was they dropped it on a Friday night. Um, I think it was March 30th or something, if I remember. March 1st, that's right. Um, they dropped it on a Friday night, read it across the desk, and then it was to be heard on a Tuesday um, in committee, three days, and. That's really unprecedented, because I had a bill, put it in context, a bill that was introduced the first week and got heard in committee the very last week. And in Colorado, we have a a law, it's our Constitution, that says any bill that a senator or representative brings has to be heard, and you can't just pocket veto it. So that was heard uh, 115 days later. But this major policy bill, they were going to ramrod it through, and uh, the uh, Senate uh, Minority Leader and I went on Monday and said, hey, let's slow it down. Let's slow down this process. Let's talk about it. Let's work on it. Let's get see what the bill says because nobody, they wouldn't share it with anybody. They refused to share it with industry. They refused to share it with the Republicans. And they kept it very close to their, uh, their vest. And so we had no idea what was in the bill. And basically, after about 20 minutes of uh, discussion with the minority leader or the majority leader and the Senate president, they said, We're doing it because we can. It's in the rules. Live with it. And. Uh, Kind of a side note. So what we did the next day, um, I had a 2,000-page bill that was up on second readings, and um, by our state constitution, you have to have unanimous consent not to read the bill at length. And so uh, Bob Garner, a senator from Colorado Springs, moved the bill, and as soon as he did, I asked that this 2,000-page bill be read at length to slow it down and slow down the process so that we had time to look at the the, uh, uh, the language in the bill and you know be able to slow it down, have a little bit of negotiation, and um, they, uh, for about three and a half hours, they, they have to read it at length. We figured it would take about 70 hours. They got six computers, divvied up the, the bill into six different portions, had the computers uh, read it all at the same time at 650 words per minute. And um, it was gibberish. So they got done in about six hours, and we said, oh, we've got to do something now. So we went, uh, we had an attorney, and met them the next morning, and we sued the Senate President and the Senate uh, Secretary for doing what they did. And we won. We won a restraining order against the Senate president, and uh, the next week we had a, uh, another court hearing, actual heard testimony, and the judge reaffirmed his order, saying that they can't do that anymore, they can't, you know, they can't um, hook up computers and read bills like that. You have to have one person or one computer at a uh, legible uh, speed. And so, that kind of set the tone for, really, the whole session. It was a very ugly session, it was very nasty. and. Um, but we used that, that court ruling and our, um, our reading at length because then we started having everything read at length and uh, just, you know, to force them to come negotiate. And I think it worked. It worked when it came to the House because uh, they started doing the same thing. But it, um, again, how we got there, um, we lost control of the Senate is basically how it was.
0: Senator, wasn't this very issue brought up in a, being a, a ballot measure in November?
1: Yes. There was a, a, a ballot question 112, which was 2,500-foot setbacks. And that wasn't the only ballot question on, uh, on the ballot. There was increase in sales tax, increase in uh, uh, income tax, more regulations on business and gas and oil regulation. And it lost uh, statewide by, like, 58 Pretty substantially. Pretty substantially. That 112 lost. And what I tell people is, we, uh, we, lost, we won on policy. The Republicans won on policy, because we, they didn't approve the uh, income tax or sales tax, they didn't approve 112, but they voted in people who would raise their taxes, and they voted in people who would regulate um, uh, setbacks and, and oil and gas. And so, it, like I said, we won on policy, we lost on the people. And uh, so and that's exactly what we have, is that uh, we have a Senate majority and a House majority of people that want to, I believe, firmly believe, close and shut down oil and gas industry in the state of Colorado. And so um, I think the people really, they don't want the, uh, those kind of re- restrictions on oil and gas, but uh, the people they voted in do.
0: Well, Dan, in coming to you, uh, who were some of the primary proponents? of, uh, what is it, Senate Bill uh, uh, Senate Bill 19-181. Who were some of the primary proponents and opponents? I, I mean, I can assume some of the latter, but why don't you talk about some of the entities or folks that pushed this through the way that they
2: did? Sure. So primarily, as Senator Cook said, this was a bill driven by certain legislators. There was no pent-up demand in Colorado to address oil and gas in this way. In fact, we have had 15 major rulemakings over the past nine years in our state regulating, further regulating the oil and gas, from hydraulic fracturing disclosure to monitoring uh, pre- and post-drilling, groundwater monitoring, we're the first state in the country to monitor methane so we've had a lot of rules uh, in the state and in november coloradans spoke and said we want this industry in our state proposition 112 would have banned our industry essentially we would have lost 43,000 jobs this year alone in colorado had that measure passed at the ballot and you saw coloradans standing with this industry saying these jobs are important to our state and you saw that in a year when you have a blue wave sweeping over uh, Colorado. So that meant Democrats and unaffiliated voters stood up with the oil and gas industry in November. So there was no pent-up demand by this except for those folks who were elected. So I'll just briefly uh, piggyback on what Senator Cook said. I believe very much we had a nationalized election in Colorado last year. Donald Trump is not very popular in our state. And so people were voting for people with a D behind their name because they didn't like Trump, not because what that person left on their doorstep when they were campaigning for the state house or the state legislature. So you had a lot of Democrats sweep into office. Colorado at a statewide level is controlled by Democrats for the first time since 1936. And you have the leadership is not just Democrats, and we talk about energy being nonpartisan, and I, and I believe that we have to, this has to be a nonpartisan issue because we all freeze at 32 degrees. Right. So energy has to be nonpartisan, but you have Democrats running the State House, and not just Democrats, but in Colorado we say, older Democrats. And there's a difference between boulder democrats and traditional uh democrats well
0: identify your top so, five elected so officials where they come from
2: this is they're all boulder denver they're folks all boulder. so the governor is from uh, boulder campaigned on 100 percent renewables by 2040. uh the leader of the uh house representatives casey becker house speaker is from boulder uh the senate president is actually from pueblo but the senate majority leader who runs the floor work and who ran this bill is also from boulder correct uh, mm-hmm. steve fenberg so You had all Boulder Democrats running this bill. They were the proponents behind it. And then the far left sort of keep it in the ground, activist groups uh, were uh, supporting it as well. What's interesting when you talk about opponents, uh, we had some very prominent Democrats come out against this bill, or at very least to come out against the process. So former Interior Secretary Ken Salazar, he was the Interior Secretary under uh, President Obama. He's a former Senator from Colorado, former Attorney General came out very publicly and said, this is not how we do business in Colorado. We don't ram bills down people's throats in a matter of weeks, slow down the process. Denver Mayor Wellington Webb, uh, historically prominent Democrat, 12 years as as the mayor of Denver, came out and said, this isn't what we do in Colorado. So with the, the work that was being done by Senate Republicans, with some of those high profile Democrats standing up and saying, this isn't what we do, the politics began to change a little bit at the State House to where by the time the bill uh, it rushed out of the Senate in a matter of a week perhaps, and they were holding hearings until 2.30 in the morning. So uh, as Senator Cook said, dropped on a Friday, which I have a media background and I know what you do when you drop things on a Friday at 4.30, you don't want people to take a look at it. Heard one business day later on a Tuesday. So in the meantime, we kind of got the band back together from 112 and had a rally on the steps of the Capitol with a thousand people. And I had a reporter tell me that was the biggest in-session rally in Colorado in at least 20 years. The best part of that, 1,000 people, and these are people who work for a living, right? And they show up in their FRs, and five to 600 of them then walked inside that building and testified on behalf of their jobs, on behalf of their livelihoods, on behalf of their families. That hearing went to 2.30 in the morning. Again, I would argue that government in the dark of night is probably not the best government, but that's where they passed this bill every single time. It was like 2.30 late at night. So anyway, makes it through the Senate, gets to the House. The politics had changed based on some of the good work they did, based on some of these prominent Democrats coming forward, based on the fact that we had 1,000 people rallying on the steps very loudly uh, for their jobs. And uh, the House Democrats put some amendments into this bill which, and every time I say this, I'm very careful with my wording, and I was careful when I talked with the Senate Republicans. It provides a degree of certainty for our industry going forward in Colorado, Um, but I I don't know exactly what the impact of this is going to be. Um, But it does uh, provide some certainty, because they added certain words throughout the process that require... For example, you talked about setbacks at the beginning. This still allows unprecedented, unfettered local control for local governments, but as written, they could have done a 4,000 foot setback, a 5,000 foot setback, even though Coloradans just said they didn't want a 2,500 foot setback, It wasn't clarified in there. Now those setbacks need to be done in, quote, a reasonable and necessary manner. That was one of the amendments that they added to it. We don't know exactly what that means at this point. We're going to find out. But at least there was a little bit, uh, some things added to it. Still a bad bill that we opposed until the moment it was signed by the governor.
0: Well, and I'm going to keep both of you on the hot seat just a little bit longer because we are talking about a statutory framework that was started in your state. And and I'm going to come to uh, talk about the the, the press side of it, as well as what we can look for in Wyoming and what we need to do to make sure these kinds of things don't happen here. But coming from Weld County, what percentage uh, of the government does Weld County support for the state of Colorado? And what are the implications of this bill in that regard?
1: Well, it... it, um would kill Colorado. Not only Colorado, but it would uh, destroy Weld County because we're the largest, again, oil and gas producing county in the state. And uh, Weld County has no debt and we have no sales tax and we have a uh, very low property tax and that's because of oil and gas. Uh, when we had the floods in 13, we lost about 30, 131 roads and bridges and we had $100 million in reserve. We uh, repaired all those 131 bridges and roads within a couple of months, and within a few more months we had another $100 million reserves, and that was because of oil and gas. Um, They just improved a huge, uh, County Road 49 was a two-lane road, it's a major cutoff between Greeley and the Denver area. Um, they spent $100 million making that a four-lane road, right-turn lanes, left-turn lanes. It's better than any state highway we have. And that's kind of th- thing that we do with the oil and gas, because we work with them so closely. And so it would devastate Weld County. It would devastate Denver, even. Forty-four uh, percent of all the office space of downtown Denver is oil and gas related. So it would have been turned Denver into a ghost town. Um, but Weld County is fighting back. Well, let me tell you a little story about... I met with the governor, and we met leadership. Uh, Republican leadership meets with the governor every other Tuesday. And it just so happens that was the day of the rally and the, and the um, uh, hearing. And so he's going around, the, the, there's the, myself, the assistant minority leader, the minority leader, and then the same positions in the House. And he said, Pat, what's on? Pat Neville is the assi- uh, minority leader in the House. What's on your mind? Kevin, what's on your mind? Then he went to the, assist, uh, the minority leader and he asked me, he, he goes, So, John, what's on your mind today? I go, Governor, all the gas is on my mind today. I said, we have a thousand people out here rallying for their jobs, and, and they're, they're trying to take it away and kill their jobs here in, uh, in, um, in committee. And he goes, oh, don't worry about it. It's not going to hurt. I go, it's going to kill Weld County. And it's going to kill the state. And he goes, no, don't worry about it. It's not going to hurt Weld County at all. And I said, well, then why are there three Weld County commissioners here testifying against the bill? And he said, nah, I don't know, they, they don't need to be. And uh, he goes, I'll be glad to talk to them. So when they got done testifying, I took him down and mar- marched him into the governor's office, and he met with the, he met with the three of them and he uh, still was saying, it's not going to hurt Weld County. Well, we're smart enough to know that this bill will devastate us. So what they did is, uh, the commissioners, I'm pretty proud of them on this one aspect, uh, uh, what they did is they made Weld County a um, sanctuary uh, oil and gas county. And um, so it, it's a, it basically is. just that what it says? It's that uh, they're going to they're not going to let the state get involved because what the governor told me in that meeting too is like, hey, they can opt in or they can opt out. If they can opt into the state rules or they can opt out. Well, if you read the bill, you can opt into the state rules, which nobody knew what they were, or you can opt out of the state rules only if those rules um, were more strict than the state. So you, if you can, so if you were lighter rules than the state, you. Um, you are more lenient, you could not opt, you cannot do that. And um, so uh, you could either opt into the state rules or, or opt out into the state rules and um, try to explain that to them. But what they did is made the sanctuary, Weld County Sanctuary, Oil and Gas County, and they're going to create their own COGCC, the Oil and Gas Commission. They're going to hire their own well inspectors, they're going to hire their own air water inspectors, their own air inspectors, and basically tell the state to butt out because if it's about local control, it's about local control, and it's not just about Boulder local control because Boulder was running the bill, and they wanted to uh, they wanted to actually tell Weld County what not to do. We border Boulder on the uh, on the west side, and they wanted to tell Weld County where we could and couldn't uh, drill, but we changed that in one of the amendments, so now they can't interfere in Weld County. Um, but um, they're going to say, if, hey, if it's about local control, we're taking local control and we're going to do uh, our own inspections and, you know, the state, get the hell out.
0: One of the things in, uh, I'm licensed in Colorado and I've done quite a bit of water work down there. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've noticed is that your state does spend quite a substantial amount of money on studies. <laughs> um, and just in my area, again, the, the, the water arena, uh, to what extent do you think that you're going to be able to develop studies? and create in in Weld County for example to develop the data to demonstrate that what they are doing and the philosophy again getting to this woman and her ignorance to what extent will Weld County be able to go it alone and perhaps develop some really good data that can be used number one for public relations purposes which we need to do a better job at and number two to push back against the state's efforts to really kind of destroy this industry
1: well, I think there's a great chance of them doing it and you're right we waste a lot of time and money on studies if the bill doesn't look like it's going to pass and they the sponsor will make it a study they'll change the bill and make it a study so we do that all the time I don't think we'll be getting a study on uh, from the state on this so if, the uh, one, right pardon me
3: but the county but the
1: county will yes and we're going to be spending a lot of money on uh, on the like I said uh, the local control aspect of the sanctuary uh, county uh, oil and gas county and um, Part of that money is going to be on data to prove, look, like you said, oil and gas has not destroyed any water. Our air is cleaner than Denver's, our air is cleaner than, you know, uh, any place else really, but yet the drilling has increased exponentially, but our air quality has also increased quite a bit. Um, so they're going to be doing a lot of the studies with the, um, the, the, the water inspector, the air inspector, um, the ground inspector, that type of thing. So I think we're going to have a lot of information. Now the question is, will people listen to it? And uh, I, think, I think once we get those studies and we do our own 30-second sound bites to influence the citizens, not the legislators, because the legislators, they don't care about facts or, or, or the truth or uh, right. figures. So um, I think we'll probably have something here pretty soon.
0: Well, at some point, was there any kind of data that was published that would support what I would describe as a very draconian, draconian approach uh, to regulating one of the most important industries in the state, did they were they relying on something other than global warming?
1: Oh, the Democrats? Yeah. Um, no, no, they um, they were relying on just the global warming and climate change, because we saw some bills on climate change and uh, as well, and. Uh, Bills to shut down the, the coal mines and uh, the, the coal-fired power plants. They're going to be shutting those down and uh, those down as well. So no, they were just relying uh, again on ignorance. On they believe man-made global warming is here and now in Colorado is going to stop it.
0: Okay. Um, has there been any blowback, or do people yet know what happened?
1: Um. I think on the more moderate Democrats, yes, My mom I don't know where I went wrong, but my mom's a Democrat, and uh, she is, um, she's pretty upset with, uh, with her party and is, as a matter of fact, going to go unaffiliated. And I've talked to quite a few that say, hey, look, these, they, it's a huge overreach. I think once, you know, I, the average citizen is like, you know, when it comes to oil and gas, they don't know a lot about it. I think once they start losing jobs in the community, once they start losing money for schools, because it was like $200 million, I believe, that more than that? Uh, 200, $2 billion. Extra. $600 million yeah. for schools. Yeah, to schools throughout the state, not just in the schools that uh, have oil and gas, but it goes to all the schools in the state. Once they start losing money for schools and um, they start losing income tax revenue in the state and they have to make cuts, and they then. If, we, they lose jobs, they're going to have to, you know, they're going to be paying um, unemployment insurance. and So when then people get affected, I think we're going to see much more uh, blowback.
0: Well, and Jason, that comes to you. Um, because one of the things that I, I don't think that we're as good at in terms of resource producers, I come from a ranch near Fort Laramie, Wyoming, and the livestock industry is another industry that has been under political pressure mm-hmm. for quite some time, all over the, the western United States for a variety of reasons and I think part of it is, is because we were raised to go to work and get the job done. I always tell the story, I, I grew up farming out of the North Platte River and it, when, whenever you're around water there's obviously a lot of mosquitoes and my father would not allow us to swat mosquitoes, we would get yelled at if we ever swatted mosquitoes when we were irrigating because he said, if you're swatting mosquitoes, you're not getting the job done. (laughs) And I think that that's really kind of the way that we were raised. You go out, you get the job done, you find the oil and gas, you find a way to get it to market. So again, prosperity for all of us has improved. We need to do a better job at PR. We need to do a better job of explaining exactly what these gentlemen are talking about, which is there are real live impacts for the decision that was made. And to have a governor, I, I guess I'm stunned at what your governor said, that it's no big deal. That kind of took my breath away for a moment, so I'm going to have to recover here. But um, what can we do to get this information out so that people, when they understand that there are five teachers that have been cut in a local school district, is directly related to this bill? Not an abstract, not that the, the inflation, or not that prices are going down, or not that blah, 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 blah. How do we point out to the public that bad policy is bad economically?
4: It's a good question because we've been trying to come up with that for a while now. A um, couple things, uh, Dan is right, 4.30 is a good time to not get something in the media. That is without a doubt. You put it on a Friday at 4.30, it's never going to see the light of day. Yeah. Same thing in politics, Christmas Eve, you drop something, nobody's ever going to you know, talk about it until the next year type of a thing. Also, um, the oil and gas industry needs to really understand that emotions have been trumping facts and reason. Since the dawn of man, I mean really it has been, and as hard as that is to understand, last night, I spoke at the kickoff party, and there, there, there was a tough pill for all of us to swallow, including me and in the media who 's just as responsible for this as everybody else by engaging with the sound bites and the narratives and all everything else like that so that 's why our uh, media went a whole different direction it was we were trying to take our small step towards it okay but Last night, when we really take a step back, this is going outside of Colorado, okay? It bled into Wyoming. The BLM lands apparently have have some memorandum or ban on them. Oregon just passed the same thing that happened in Colorado through their Senate, okay? You have two presidential candidates that are legitimate, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren get all the airtime to be considered legitimate. They actually say they want to ban fracking. That's in their platform. That is one of the most outrageous comments I've ever heard in my life. And as a media person, that person should not be allowed back on the air, because they are a fringe candidate. They are... That, without oil and gas, it would be The Walking Dead without zombies in three days. It would be absolute chaos. And for the media not to challenge that? Oh, so if you're cool, you can be in the media now. If you're not, you, you know, you're not. So as long as you're hip and neat and cool and part of the trends, we'll broadcast whatever you say doesn't matter if it's sports or politics or whatever it is that's that's a trend in the media that's been going on and the environmentalists have taken advantage of that very well
0: well, and Very they have, long. and it's something that, from from our standpoint, we've known for 30 years that that's the reality. Because one of the things that I heard my father say long after he didn't allow us <clears throat> to swat mosquitoes, is he said, "I always looked at it as a, at environmental groups as mosquitoes," mm-hmm. and he should he said I should have been swatting them at a lot a lot earlier.
5: And oh, go ahead. No, you go
4: ahead. Uh, I was gonna say and So kind of another thing we did last night too to take that pill a little bit harder is when we take a look at the past decade, the oil and gas industries has arguably made more money and spent more money than any time in its 10-year snapshot in its history. Hundred-dollar oil, all this stuff happened. And over the past 10 years, what happened? We're now banned in Colorado, Oregon, Wyoming, two presidential candidates, and there's a thing called the Green Deal, which is supposed to apparently get rid of the industry in 10 years.
0: Well, and so that's what I keep coming back to is that we have had these discussions for quite some time, but we're obviously not solving that problem.
4: So, what we're doing is we're saying we need to say shake it up and do things differently. Start doing a lot of things differently. Last night we gave an example of there's a crew out in um, Pennsylvania, I think, sponsoring the Junior Frackers as a baseball team. Will it work? No idea, but at least it's engaging with a community that's not the same people. Like last night I said, I've been going to these conferences now and 90% of us are the same people going to the same conferences, rah, rah, with the same thing. We got to get out and engage with the people that are the ones now apparently setting the laws because what Mr. Cook said was, I wrote this down a few times, it's become a political issue. It's it's a blue and and a red issue. When I grew up, energy was not a political issue. I just turned on the light switch. I mean, I grew up in like $30, 40 oil, and Bill Clinton was the news because of the cigar and all that other stuff was going on. That So n- nobody cared about energy because gas was two bucks and this and that. Well, it's gotten to the point now where almost like the media and the politicians and a few others end up doing the PR for the industry. And so that's what I mean, the industry needs to reimagine how they're looking at energy.
0: Well, have got some ideas, but I think that Dan yeah, has some comments yeah. on this as
2: well. Just jump in quickly. Uh, <laughs> <Good> one, <luck. laughs> and one to say that we haven't been banned in Colorado yet, just to set the record straight. <laughs> right, right. So we're still working hard to avoid that. Um, a lot of this is on us. We did not do a good job as an industry explaining what we were doing and why we were doing and why it, why it was important. And we allowed a vacuum to exist, and people came in and scared people. And it's a lot cheaper mm-hmm. to scare people than it is to educate them. And whenever we would try to, to talk with them, we handed them studies and fact sheets and things from, about science, and the other side was handing them <laughs> emotional things and things that could scare them. There was, uh, two years ago, there was a, an attempt to ban fracking in Colorado, it was going to go to the ballot, but it was stopped by Coloradans who didn't sign the petition. But one of the things they did when they advertised, it had a, a line that said, "Come sign the ban- come sign the petition to ban fracking. And rather than showing an explosion or pollution or something like that, it had a picture of a woman standing on a windswept plane holding her child to her chest and said, come sign the petition to ban fracking. That woman was protecting her child from all of you. And that's what happens. And that's what we've allowed to happen. We have got to go in and we have got to play at that same exact emotional level that they do. We have got to stand up for ourselves and for our jobs and for our families and make sure that people are seeing our faces. And we also have to learn how to talk about climate change. I know not everybody wants to do that, but that is going to be the driving issue going forward. You talked about the Green New Deal. That is gonna be the lens for which everything happens in the 2020 campaign, mark my words. And we have to know that we are part of the solution. If you're concerned about greenhouse gases, you have to know, and I know I say this in coal country up here, uh, but burning, clean burning natural gas will reduce your emissions. We can be part of the climate solution. We have to be able to talk about that and feel good talking about that. And in terms of like getting out there, I agree with you. We need to do things different and think outside the box. We're trying to do a few different things in Colorado. Are they working? I don't know, but we're trying. Uh, We sponsor an elite cycling team, for example. And they go around and they compete in different criteriums, I think they're called, races, and they wear Colorado Oil and Gas Association jerseys. And 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 so we're going out into places where people don't expect us to be. They train through Boulder County. And when people say, why do you have an oil and gas association supporting your industry? They have received education to where they are able to say, I can't ride this bike without oil and gas. The bike is not going to be created without natural gas, without petroleum. This jersey wouldn't be created without petroleum. And so they're able to talk about how our, every, everything we touch, feel, stand on, lean, our phones that we can't live without are made possible by natural gas and petroleum. So we've got to be out telling those stories in ways that people are not expecting us to.
0: Well, and so then we've got the gentleman down here from Wyoming. And so what is your advice? To make sure that we don't end up with something similar in the state of Wyoming, and can actually provide uh, really, we've we've got the examples of the of the green side. We've got the extremes. We've got Oregon. We've got Washington to a certain extent. You've got Colorado. How can we become the beacon? How can we become the, the the prototype, the poster child for exactly what you are saying? How does Wyoming become? one of the, not, well, we already are one of the top oil and gas producers in the I nation, but, but the, the, the poster child, again, for the fact that this is a, a good thing for everybody in this country and internationally. <coughs> Do you have advice for our friend down here?
5: <laughs> That's quite a bit to digest, Harriet. <laughs> um, I can tell you uh, this is definitely a bellwether, and, and we need to pay attention to what's going on. Um, oftentimes, things like this, particularly uh, in, in close-by states, seep over the border. Uh, Wyoming was the first to pass the hydraulic fracturing disclosure rule. Uh, that was then uh, instantly passed around the country. Uh, I, I'm guessing that we did our groundwater rule before you did. Uh, there are things that are, are very concerning that has happened in Colorado. Uh, the, uh, the COGCC, uh, I, I can't even begin to imagine the makeup of that. I know what happens at our WOGCC, and having a makeup that is now entirely different uh, in Colorado, I can't believe that they could make informed decisions. Uh, luckily, ours is uh, our commission, the makeup of it is in statute. Uh, the, uh, there are several things in statute. Uh, another one is um, local control. Uh, counties cannot regulate oil and gas operations. Uh, the reason for that was uh, we don't want 23 different rules. If I've got a rig sitting on a, on a county line somewhere, whose rule do I follow? Right. Especially now that we're going, uh, we're going with all these horizontal wells. If, I've got a, if I'm going from one county to another, who do I follow? What do I do? Uh, so that's been in statute. We have had a supermajority in the legislature. Uh, it's almost to a fault. It's become more of a problem to have too many Republicans and not enough Democrats.
1: It's harder to get. We'll we'll take a couple (laughs) It's
5: it's harder to get stuff done.
1: It's It's just crazy talk. Republicans are
5: are fighting amongst themselves. When we had uh, years ago, we had a little bit more of a balance. We could push stuff through because we needed that help from all the Republicans to get it through. I think there's three. Three Democrats in the Senate. Yeah, it's it's we have a supermajority, and that's a problem. But I will tell you that the biggest problem I see coming down the pike, particularly in the legislature, is they don't know anything about our business.
0: That's a tragic <laughs> statement in the state of Wyoming. Um, that 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 is the circumstance. So I guess that that really comes to maybe the next topic we ought to be talking about, which is the education side of it, because we're finding ourselves in this position because, as you say, we allowed a vacuum to be developed in Nature of a vacuum. And we allowed that vacuum to be developed and be um, filled by people who don't necessarily have our best interests in mind or our industry's best interests in mind. We have got to do a better job of messaging across the board, whether it is for coal. Uh, or it is oil and gas, or it is some of our other industries, Trona, whatever it may be. We are not good at that. How do we get better?
4: May I jump in on this one for Please. a second? Um, one thing I wanted to mention is, you know, I'm from North Dakota, where the Bakken is, and North Dakota is very interesting because it, it's, it is a red state, but it's an egg state, and so for every buck we give, we get a buck eighty back from the federal government. So we're red, but you know, you kind of so They're called social reds, you know, type of a thing. But they're, it's, it's different because on the east side of the state is Fargo, where North Dakota State is. 75 miles north is Grand Forks, where the University of North Dakota is. 75 miles south is another university, and it's where Wahpeton is. If you go, and that's where the Red River is, which is borders Minnesota. If you take, I don't know, your car and drive... 30 miles west from Fargo and draw a straight line from Canada down to South Dakota, that's 65 percent of the population. You're five hours from the nearest oil rig. Fargo has no idea what's going on in western North Dakota and there's been a east-west Hatfield-McCoy thing for a long time. The east side of the state is continuing to grow. Sure, you hear about the growth out in western North Dakota, but they don't have the three major, the two major universities. Right that bring in three to four to five times the population that the oil field at 40 bucks, 50 bucks can bring in, okay? With these young idealistic millennials and whatever the term after the millennials are, you're bringing in a whole new wave of new Green Deal thinkers. That's what's happening in North Dakota that no one is talking about. We're trying to have that discussion but it's a head-in-the-sand deal because, get this, 50% of our state revenue comes from the oil extraction and the production tax. 50% of a state's revenue comes from two oil and gas taxes. That does not include the vehicle registrations. When Halliburton goes to the gas station every morning and buys four monster energy drinks and six sandwiches, that doesn't include that tax either, okay? 50% of our state revenue comes from two taxes, that are the oil and gas, and 65% of the state has no idea what's going on in the oil and gas industry. So that's what, that's what made me think of it, was like, yeah. that, that is happening more and more and more because look at down in Texas. You go to midland. I mean there's not a lot of people live there compared to Dallas and Austin. so yeah, Aust- Austin, thank you. Austin. Yes. Yeah. And and so you get the point the emotional part and anyway, so So
0: there was a famous writer that said you can ignore reality, but you cannot ignore the consequences of ignoring reality. I like that. So, how do we make people understand reality? How do we get to the universities? How do we get to the students, how do we get to the millennials, how do we get to the folks who think we can do without fracking and maintain the standard of living that they've had since they were young? Another person famously said that our prosperity is killing us, and I think there's some truth to that as well.
4: So we're taking baby steps with what we're doing because, you know, we're in the media, we're non-political, but we are an oil and gas show. And we've had experts, and we, and we have di- intelligent discourse down in Texas before the Me Too thing happened, they called me the Charlie Rose of the Bakken. So we would do the very long format. After the Me Too, we didn't bring that anymore. (laughs) So um, there is that part of it which is important. But the other part is is how do you engage with those different people? So what we've done on our program is we now have local musicians, singer-songwriters, that work as our bumper music, and we'll just play songs and we'll put together montages with the oil people having good news, this and that. So over the course of a couple years we actually have musicians now promoting oil and gas discourse as opposed to protesting it. It's it's not going to solve the problem overnight, but it's a little step. The Crude Life is now sponsoring the greatest environmentalist on the planet. Okay, his name is Johnny Green and he's won this tournament and we went out and we commissioned a belt. It's it's like five grand, okay? And Championship UFC WWF Brock Lesnar belt. And he's going without a cell phone for a month because his cell phone is the number one polluter on the planet. Whether it's the rare earth minerals or the data centers or the construction behind it, this, folks, is your number one polluter on the planet. So the guy with the championship belt's gonna be going to ball games and barbecues, telling little kids in front of their mothers Make sure you go one hour tonight without that cell phone. Helping parent the things parents can't do. Get their kids off the screens. So we're going to do a little end around. Will it work? No idea. But we're going to try it. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit fun. Again, is it going to solve it overnight? Probably not. But at least it's going to be a step in the right direction. So we're just starting to do some little things like that. It's outside the box thinking. so, yeah, that's, that's. You
0: know, we all know the, the voice of the, the gentleman who did the uh, Beef is what for, It's What's for Dinner. Yeah. That was Which one? Robert
4: program. Mitchum? Sam Elliott? Yes,
0: Robert Mitchum was the one that started that mm-hmm. probably in the early 1990s, late 80s, ni- early 1990s. And that was a voice, and probably every single person in this room heard that advertisement at some point and remembers it now Beef It's What's for Dinner. That was with the Beef Checkoff Program. Are we doing things like that no. with our oil and gas industry? Are we doing that kind of PR promotion work to make sure that we have that positive, uh, that increased beef consumption?
4: That's funny you say it that because that's exactly what we said last night was the reason we decided to, to endorse and, and sponsor and financially sponsor this Johnny Green is because it's fun. And the oil and gas industry hasn't been fun for a long time. I was, it, it's true. Last night I was talking with somebody at the kickoff party, and they were talking about how 10 years ago the industry tried to make it sexy and a bunch of different things, and I was looking at them, and I'm going, I'm kind of bored right now, and I understand what you're talking about. I've heard the same message that, you know, the light switch, this and that, and it dawned on me that the oil and gas industry has gotten so embedded in our lives, much like the coal too in a lot of areas, especially North Dakota, which I think powers 80% of the state, um, that it's like doing dishes. We now take it for granted as a daily chore that we necessarily don't like. How did we get it to that point? We should be excited. I, I ordered a vertical garden for my house. It's made entirely out of plastic. 90% water consumption from my garden outside. All these different things are going to happen. The, the lights that I'm saving, etc. And it's entirely made out of plastic. So to get the younger generation to understand the above all policy I think is one of the best ways to go because the energy industry embraced it a long time ago.
2: So
0: Dan, what do we do?
2: Well it's, it's frustrating because this should be a, t- a time of, of celebration instead we're arguing over plastic straws. I don't think you can ever get to those people who want to keep the product in the ground. And I think we should quit wasting our time trying to, to convert them by giving them studies and information. Absolutely. One of the biggest issues we have in this country is we've all kind of re- retreated to our camps, and we seek out information that validates our concerns. If you get more information, you sink further into your entrenchment. So we need to find that sort of rational middle that can be moved and that, that wants that education, and there are people like that. I traveled around with the, the previous governor to the, a task force roadshow, and every once in a while, there'd be a woman that would come up and say, "You know, I want to support oil and gas. I've lived on this country road for 50 years, and now there's truck traffic constantly." Those are the people we need to find and have conversations with, mm-hmm. and try to make this work for them. In Colorado, we are doing a lot of television advertising at night, and it's it's kind of simple messaging. Fracking's been going on for 60 years; it doesn't pollute groundwater, things like that. And we see the polling shows those numbers will go up when you're when you're just kind of a routine part of the. Uh, we can't. It's like. It's not as good as beef It's what's for dinner yet, but we have to be a part of that just general churn every night in people's lives.
0: Well, and we also have a program called Ag in the Classroom. And the Ag in the Classroom program was classroom. started many, many years ago, and I think that they focus, uh, I, I'm not even quite sure which cl- which grades that they focus on, but they do all kinds of things in terms of meeting with teachers and doing curriculum and all different kinds of things so the kids can learn where corn comes from and what the different, different cuts of meat right. and all of those things. To what extent are our industries doing an ag in the classroom and working with our educators starting at a very young age all the way up through college so we are getting that information out and these kids know it from when they're very young.
4: I know, I think Dan, you might know this. Liberty does a uh, tour for kids, I believe. I was told by um, Senator Ray Scott. Mm-hmm. Does that sound familiar yes, from Grand Junction? Yeah. And that, that's a good start. Um, I go back to if we want to reach the kids and we want to reach the parents and we want to do some, some of that, I think they're getting tired of being preached to. And we go. I go back to let's let's have some fun.
0: I think so too, and I think that's what ag in the classroom does.
4: Okay, and you know, like I was thinking one time, I brought my son. I've got a 13 year old son, and he was a Montessori student, so he was engaged. Like you know, we we actually went to a dairy farm. That's how he learned about farming. He went to a dairy farm. He went to a uh, ag farm. I'm sorry, a cattle farm. He uh, put his hand into a cow's stomach at the university. I set up a deal where you could do that, and the local universities are there. The educa- We just made the education fun, that's all. We just made it engaging and first, first-handed, and that's why I brought up the liberty part, because that's a good start. That is bringing it out of the classroom and out into them, and that's where I, that's where I think they could do a better job of.
0: John, do you think there's something specific to Wyoming that we need to be doing a better job of?
5: Oh absolutely. Uh, We have been working on uh, social media, uh, trying to reach all these, uh, you know, the millennial group. Um, We have been uh, discussing for a number of years something uh, like a a classroom type setting, uh, how to approach that, what to do with that. Uh, I think uh, some of the the actually the, the most beneficial things we've done Uh, We put together a a powerpoint, you know, this is what uh, oil and gas does for you kind of a thing, and uh, go to various towns and invite the mayors and the city councils and the legislators in the area, you know, everybody we can get, and uh, the decision makers, and we sit them down, we feed them dinner, and we show them this uh, this dog and pony show, and and then answer any questions that they have, And, and it's remarkable how quickly uh, somebody that, that is actually educated uh, understands our industry. Well,
0: I'm going to make one final comment, and then I'm going to open this up for questions. But I, I don't remember the advertisements, but I've read them, and they were the, the shave cream, the the things that I've always thought that we needed to do, depending on what industry you're in. And I kind of lump together a lot of our resource producing industries as being sister or related, whether you're in cattle production, uh, 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 crop production, oil and gas, whatever it is, we're trying to make lives better. Whether you are producing food and fiber or oil and gas or whatever it is, the bottom line is that you are doing something and producing something and working something to make our lives better, make our highways better, make our buildings better, uh, make it more efficient in terms of our ability to get to work and those kinds of things. And I've always thought that we really lose a, an opportunity by not putting things like billboards. We cross and see billboards. I drove up here for four hours today, and I bet I saw 1,500 billboards. Why aren't we providing, why aren't we including more information in states like Colorado and Wyoming that are very simple? You said the word. This has to be simple. This isn't for Harriet to sit down and write a 45-page brief. This is a matter of saying, if you adopt the Green New Deal, all of you will be poorer than anybody in Bangladesh. You know, I mean, it truly is. We need to stop overthinking this. And we need to start thinking about how we message to people effectively. And effectiveness is simple and straightforward and honest. You adopt the Green New Deal, we all die. Why don't we do more of that? Why doesn't, why doesn't the state of Wyoming own 40 billboards across the state, the oil and gas industry, the coal industry, whatever it may be? Why don't we have statistics that change every three months? What happens? Let's look at what's gone on in Europe. The, the things in, in, in Germany, it's something like 800% more expensive over there for people to have energy. Um, you, have a, you make people, I, I do not believe in energy poverty. I think energy poverty is really sick. And I think that we need to do a better job of making sure that we're not living in energy poverty. But these kinds of policy decisions push us further and further and further, and the people who are on the edge are the ones that suffer the most. These are really regressive taxes when you make energy more expensive. We need to do a better job getting to that forgotten person that we can persuade. We need to tell people when you make $30,000 a year, when they adopted this law in Colorado, it took a whole bunch of money right out of their pockets. And I think that's where where we need to get better at messaging, is making people understand how it affects them personally, and it ain't good. So with that, I'm going to open it up to questions for anybody who wants to engage in the conversation. Yes, sir. Yeah,
3: so just having two comments from the mind, uh, it seems like we need a common enemy here, and we're really good about uh, alienating Russia and Saudi Arabia and, and all of these nations. But we're, we're all watching our crude production increase, and so now we're 13, 15 million barrels a day net production. But what this is doing for our economy, it's giving us a billion dollars a day uh, in trade balance that we didn't have before because of our energy production. So this is a billion dollars a day that we're not giving, given Sally, we're not giving it Swill, we're not giving Elon. So maybe that's a message that, that we could give. Mm-hmm. A second message. Um I think we should hire all the why don't you get on your social media accounts and when Yoko Ono says something strange or funny, you know, now you have some fuel, because we know, I, I, I have a Facebook account, I'm not even too sure, I know what the password is, right? But why can't we hire these young people that are speaking the language of the rest of the millennials to help carry our message to their peers? All right. And so we could do this at the university level and just reach out to professors Department heads, and
4: help carry um, the the risk you have there is you polarize the industry even more. Because what happens is when they get online, they become pretty mean, yeah. and pretty soon you got this back and forth bickering, fighting. Right. Hatfield McCoy would be a nice way to put it. And now the industry is that guy, and that's right. And that and, yeah, and 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 the industry. So that, that's where we got to be careful with the social media. And that's, again, why we, we're going back to the guy that's going out to the actual arenas and to the barbecues and to the actual people themselves. Because there was a period where I used to joke when I was doing magazines and radio and newspapers and things like that. And, and I'd say, yeah, word-of-mouth advertising is the best. You know, I'd go on a few sales calls, and the first thing that somebody would say is, oh, no, we rely on word-of-mouth advertising. And I'd say, great, buy as much as you can. And, but hang on, that's where we went to. People did. Social media allowed people to buy this much word of mouth, and then it got blown up to where now people ignore it because people know they buy it. And so that would be my comment to that. Sorry. Just
3: before Gas came out, there was another movie, and I think it was sponsored by the ages, and it was called Spoiled. Yeah. And it was about how much oil, how much energy that we use per person. And I found it pretty amazing. Transition from the slave economy that we had hundred years ago, 200 years ago, um, and, and from the amount of energy that we have and that we use in our daily lives, we have to have the first 100 personal servants you know, to, 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 to yeah. sustain our life today. And we get that from energy, so we get that from the affordable We're energy. Free-
4: I heard somebody just say, um, have, have the industry go on strike for a day in Colorado. I thought that was the best idea I ever heard.
0: Well, I, uh, I actually wrote down here is that sometimes we're always trying to miss, fix the mess uh, that is created by others. And maybe sometimes we ought to give people what they want. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that at some point people are going to have to suffer the consequences of their decisions. That's why I say you can ignore reality but you cannot ignore the mm-hmm. consequences of ignoring reality. I don't know how to get that message out but I think that's something that's important. And Senator, Senator, you, Senator had you had a re- right. so it's poverty
3: for $5 gas, right? I mean, yeah. It's just crazy. Senator?
1: Uh, yeah, I think the uh, the messaging it, it, it has to be simple and it's the right message that we have to get out not just throwing stuff out and you know seeing what sticks on the wall. Um, When we were debating this 181, I went down and I I called uh, 181 economic racism because um, the high-paying jobs in the oil field and 40% of the people that are in the oil industry are Hispanics, mostly in Colorado, and and so you have African-Americans, you have Hispanics, and now these rich white uh, people from Boulder want to to, um, shut down their jobs. So I called it economic racism because they're trying to kill the jobs of these people, and there was a great commercial that was being ran. A guy was a welder. He was here from Mexico, um, lived here all of his life, but his parents came up, and he was here from Mexico, became a welder, and now his, he has his own business with the oil and gas industry, and his two sons are working with, them in, with him in the oil and gas industry, and he got on the air and was talking about um, what a great... Uh, livelihood, he has been able to provide for him and his two sons and their families um, through oil and gas. So, um, I mean, I think there's a lot of messages out there.
0: That's a great message. That ought to be playing on a 30-second loop. So, yes, sir.
1: So, Andy Ballard in
6: Services. I'm out of Houston, Texas, so this is a great discussion. Um, a lot to unpack. There's a lot going on there. Uh, I would venture to say that about what California is today, and that's where Colorado is going. You know, then, then it'll be Wyoming, well, and perhaps Texas. Uh, so, just a comment there. Another comment: Not all of us. I have a son going to Colorado Mesa, that to be studying professional landman services. So, you know, there are kids out there that are interested in this. But like I live in Houston, where oil and gas is what everybody does. Um, so, two questions: One, how does the API? How effective is the API in terms of lobbying at the federal? Level? And what effect do some of the, the commercials from some of the large, the Exxon Robles, the Shells, the Chevron that you see on TV promoting, you know, that oil and gas can be great careers, that it's exciting, but how effective are those? That's, that's one question. And then the second question is around the curriculum and the indoctrination of the youth. I live in a conservative state in Texas, and my kids read stuff about global warming, how fossil fuels are causing it, and it, it's us to battle, right? But you know, so it, maybe it's a circular question. Does the API help with that? Does it not help with that? Is it per school, per state, per, per uh, school district? So lot, lots of questions are
5: coming. Jason, Yeah, Jack, I, Deanna, I, I think that you've I, got...
4: I would just go quickly. That I was going to tie the two in together. That um, you were talking about how are they doing on PR and are the ads effective and that sort of thing. I don't know. They're not on me. Um, all those, you know, birds flying and you know, nicely lit. That's sort of, it's. I, I've seen them for 20 years, so it, it's, they're kind of lost on me. And so I thought I thought of my son right away when you were. And by the way, I got rid of my TV in 2007, so I haven't had a television since 2007. I have Netflix. I'm not Amish. I mean, so I am somewhat normal, but I didn't want my son growing up around a television. I just didn't want that happening. So he gets all of his content from youtube basically so my question is what is the api doing to youtube okay because i've heard television ads i know radio i've billboards we've talked about there's a, i mean the media is everything now i mean this is the media you know social media is the media that sort of thing the indoctrination part that's where my mind went because my kid comes home from school and they do, they talk about fossil fuels in the school, and it's not in a positive way. And that, that has concerned me in the past year. I've noticed in the past year and a half, it's really ramped up a lot. And that's, again, like what I noticed, the bands and some of the templates were going, just the red flags are going off. Uh, I, I don't know, all I know is that that's why we're here, to talk about some new ideas and shake things up and, and shift the mindset a little bit so we can say, all right, how are we going to get to that woman who doesn't understand what hard and soft water is in Greeley? Is that, that's what I thought in my mind. Like Maybe it's just soft water. I don't know. Like, maybe she should get a culligan and put it in there. I don't know. I mean, geez. Dan, what do you think? Go ahead, Dan. Sorry. A
2: couple things. One, I think we're getting better now at, on a, a national level sharing information among trade associations and API getting together and sharing media campaigns and saying, strip your logo, put our logo on here, and talking about what we're doing and not trying to re-duplicate, you know, duplicate the wheel, all that replicate the wheel, um, because we have not done a good job of that in the past. But I think the key that you zeroed in, that we have got to do a better job of getting into classrooms yep. uh, and talking to teachers. I've envisioned this uh, teacher training program in Colorado. They continue need continuing credits, three days, come in and just learn about oil and gas so you can Presented, or, or let's do all the above, have a wind, solar, everybody can talk about the pros and cons of this. My daughter had a fourth grade class assignment where she had to do the pros and cons of energy. And oil and natural gas, coal, weren't even options for her to choose. And we're talking about pros and cons, and there's pros and cons of all these things, right? And so what a perfect opportunity to learn the pros of, of oil or natural gas, coal. Um, wasn't even an option, so we've got to get in there. Oklahoma and Ohio do this fairly well. They've been doing it for a while. The program in Oklahoma is called OERB, and I think it sounds for Oklahoma Education Resources Board. It's a checkoff program that producers pay, and they, are, they have a curriculum that goes in the classroom. They do teacher training. Uh, the program in Ohio is called OOJEEP. I couldn't tell you what it stands for. Why are we taking They do it well, national? and so I look at these things. Yeah, you, we've, we've talked about in Colorado, nothing's gotten done. It, states like Wyoming, where you want to head this off, do it, do it now. Do all these things now. Don't wait until, because yep. it is coming for you. This is a global movement coming for us, and it is not just oil and gas. They're gonna come for agriculture next, they're already doing it. Yes. Anything, anybody that produces anything with their hands is gonna be under attack in, in this country. And so we've got, wow. to, we've got to get ahead of it
1: now. So if I could, so if reach out, Scott Tinker, Bureau of Economic Geology in Texas, he's the charge of it, he's got a switch on, switch energy program. They've got tremendous amounts of education materials already
2: developed. He's been going around presenting a lot of this stuff, especially around Texas. But I mean,
1: he's he's a PhD geologist, talks about all energy options, and presents real stats on. You can look at the escalation of what's happened in alternative energy, and when you put it in the real world, it shows it's it's, it's minuscule amounts of expansion. But he's a tremendous resource. He's got a tremendous amount of stuff he pulled together. And I believe it's switchon.org or Switch Energy Alliance.
0: Well, then one thing that's going to come out of this today, John, is that there's going to be a roundtable put together to bring that gentleman in, and we're going to do an oil and gas in the classroom program, right? <laughs> Starting today. <laughs>
2: Also, as soon as you, I don't know if I'm giving away information, I'm not supposed to. Uh, when the television ads go off, you, you start to see the poll numbers go down. Yeah. So it's like you kind of constantly, you have to be constantly That's what messaging. We've
0: got to be dedicated to this forever. Yes, and I just want to throw out that whenever we say we got to get to those millennials, the average
1: age in Colorado is just up. Yes. Something uh, really kind of simple as well. It, That's not all. Always- no. Senator? Yeah.
0: The,
1: I think one of the most simplest things, but the most effective, is if you're a supervisor or you own your companies, you need to make sure your employees are registered to vote. And that is one of the most key and critical components of this whole thing of getting the word out, because when 112 came out, um, I was up for re-election, and I went to... Uh, I asked Dan for all the oil and gas-related industries in my district alone, because I wanted to go to their safety briefings, I wanted to go to um, their meetings, and and, uh, and anywhere there was a group of people. And I spoke probably to about 4,000 people in all afterwards, went to several different rallies, and we set up uh, uh, registration booths for them to register the vote. And then we also did a little bit of training, because we talked about um, the emotion part. Um, When we would have bills, when we were in control of the Senate, you know, they would bring in their moms and their little babies and talk about oil and gas killing their babies, and we would bring in, no offense, we'd bring in Dan or, you know, uh, API, and they would talk about the facts and that kind of stuff, and it was like, hey, talk to your neighbors about, you know, first, register to vote. And then now, go talk to your neighbors and tell them what oil and gas does for you. Oil and gas is putting your kids through college. It's paying for your little girl that has a leukemia and is going through the, in the hospital. It's paying for um, your kids' schools. And talk about it on uh, a one-to-one level. That's probably the easiest thing to do, but most people are afraid to talk to other people about it. But you have tons of neighbors, and you can go, like, you know, the soccer mom, if you have a mom um, that ha- lives next to a soccer mom, go and say, hey, look, your kids like playing with my kids. But if 112 passes or we get these regulations in here, we're going to have to move. We're going to move to Texas or we're going to go somewhere. And uh, so talking to people, your neighbors, whoever, on a one-to-one basis is, the I think, one of the most important things to do, but even more so is to register to vote.
0: And uh, John had something to add there as well.
5: Yeah, if I could, if I could build on that, uh, particularly in Wyoming, um, we are losing our advocates in the in the uh, legislature. Uh, they are uh, retiring. Uh, your dad was a good advocate for us, uh, but they're 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 moving on. Uh, and so, um, one of the things we at PAW do is we have a pack, and uh, and we're going to we're going to try to get that uh, really built up more and get more involved in in, uh, in recruitment of uh, candidates that understand our industry, that understand what we're saying, and uh, and try to get a little bit more of that advocacy back in Cheyenne. So. Uh, if, if you're interested, if anyone at the company is interested, um, give us a holler because we'd sure like to get some more folks like that back in Cheyenne. Yes, I just a um, Our local school
0: districts have to decide. You have a question right here.
3: I I have kind of a technical question. Forgive
0: my naivety here, but um, in Colorado where they give, I'm not sure how the um, language was phrased, but does it just specifically
3: give it to county jurisdictions or local? So essentially
2: you form a consortium of, of, I don't know. I guess what I'm getting at is you can have all kinds
3: of different local jurisdictions include the, the sheriff's department or county commissioners. I don't know. Where, where does the line
2: cut off on that? It's just cities and counties. Cities and counties.
0: counties.
5: Yeah. Okay. And the other thing
0: is, I think oftentimes we don't personalize it to people. If we talk about, we're going to lose 5,000 jobs. If it's not my job, I don't really care. But if you say rolling yeah, or mm-hmm. you freeze
2: your ass off this winter, then maybe it's personalized. hmm
4: how maybe we can do it. And like you said... So, what, yeah, one of the things that we do is we actually try to create personalities on our program because that was the thing that was lacking is the energy industry really didn't have any personality. We have personality. And, oh, you, I, no, go to a conference and you fall in love. You go to a barbecue, you fall because everybody has personality. But... For so long, the energy, is, the energy industry is one of the kings of the economy. I mean, you got banking and insurance, and, and, you know, ag was, but they've actually fallen pretty down by the wayside. So when you're one of the kings of the economy, you're just the big bad wolf all the time. When I was a kid, I used to read a book, Harry the Dirty Dog. When I was a kid, I was told oil was dirty, coal is dirty from Harry the Dirty Dog. In fact, he, he, yeah, I mean, every day I was reading this book. So I was indoctrinated as a kid. I know this. Now, when I went to Pittsburgh the first time, I fell in love with that city. That city's gorgeous. I was expecting black, just soot everywhere. I had, I had a great time. Spent a week there one night, you know? And It was a good time. Uh, but we are in a unique time right now where the environmental movement has gotten to a point to where they're starting to get crazy, and they're starting to offend people, and they're starting to become annoying. And so this is a very unique time for the energy industry to really all the above, one-on-one, go sit down with the parents because you need that. You need the parents to understand Germany charges 18 bucks for natural gas and they just fired up the coal plants last week because they can't do it. You need the parents to understand that, not the kids. The kids don't care. As long as they can YouTube, that's all they want to do. So then maybe you go to YouTube. You figure out some quick YouTube things. You know, a 5-second, 15-second ad that shows somebody living without oil. Okay. Or show that garden I talked about. You know, I'm, I'm having that, that inventor of my vertical garden. He's coming on our programs to talk about his hippie, green, green you know, way to grow garden stuff, but he needs the petroleum industry to do this. So now we just converted one of the guys there who's gonna be all about it because he's making his living off of the petroleum product being a green person. We're trying to invest, in, not invest, but in get to the, invest I guess, get into them because who is the geologist who went to school? Is that you? Talked about, they went to, they, they, you okay. So you had no idea. All, all you were told was the hairy, the dirty dog stuff growing up. You kind of had, it the, the, wasn't even offered as an option uh, in the kids' uh, pros and cons, okay? So there's this social engineering that's already happened before you set foot out in the real world. Those are the people that, like me, I went into the oil and gas industry to investigate against oil and gas. True story. I thought it'd be like shooting fish in a barrel. I spent five minutes in the oil and gas industry and I went, my God, the essence of capitalism is alive here. And I fell in love with the industry and haven't turned my back ever since because it is the community builder, it is the last essence of capitalism that is truly alive in America today. Everybody else is subsidized beyond belief. Everybody. I mean, tech industry, all these startups that happened were subsidized to the point where venture capitalists eventually had to come and take them in. So, What's that?
0: I was just saying that the University of Wyoming is looking at becoming a venture capitalist. The very same thing you're talking North about. North
4: Dakota's been doing it for years. Yeah. I mean, we got our own mill. We got all these different but things. That's so. why
0: I also think that we need to be much. We need to have a rapid response team that we're very ineffective about. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about rolling brownouts? They're happening right now. Mm -hmm. How often does your industry come out and say, "You know what just happened out in California? That's because of bad policy." And and
4: that's what you get with the parents and everything. The kids, you got to have some fun, you got to engage, you got to do that. But more importantly, this is the thing I haven't seen the energy industry do in probably 10 years. That I've I've been covering it for 10 years now, um, full time. Nothing's clicked yet there hasn't been that thing that clicks yet, you know? Like in professional wrestling, you know, you got Hulk Hogan, he does his stuff, and you know, it all clicks, you got 80,000 people mimicking him and doing this stuff, and, and that's what the energy, what's for beef, it's what's for dinner, that click. Dinner. And so I think that's the next challenge with the energy industry, is the, the API go out and do exactly what you're talking about. Sit down and explain to the parents how much stuff's gonna cost. So instead of having maybe a meeting at an API meeting, that's what you do, you go out and do that instead.
0: We have time for one more question. I have a little background about what I'm in Minnesota environment, and so we all
3: to get our projects done. Anyway, in
5: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: The uh, East Coast is importing gas from Russia right now because of the pipeline, lack of pipelines in New York. England imported wood from the United States to burn three years ago because they had a cold snap late spring that they didn't have enough natural gas for because they don't believe in fracking. And so uh, (laughs) this stuff is happening every single day. They're burning wood for power in England but in the 21st to, century. We
0: need to be better at pointing that out to people.
2: i myself, and
3: we was going on like in 2009. You know, the water gas was on the right thing, and so we were planning sand deposits in Minnesota. And all the cracks ended up coming from Wisconsin and Iowa because Minnesota, they up in their cars and protest.
4: Oh. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. No, right.
0: I agree with you. I think that's a very good point. Um, so thank you, everyone. Thank you for this wonderful panel. Thank you for coming up and being willing yeah, to explain to us and educate us and uh, all of those things. you please give them all a hand?
3: I wish. I wish. Two other